0: Nehemiah chapter 1 is where we're headed today. Um, Let's just take a moment now and quiet our hearts and our minds, maybe open ourselves up to the possibility that maybe God does in fact want to speak to us today. I believe he's here. I believe he's willing We desire to hear from you today, O oh God, through your word. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been in an impossible situation. Maybe you've been in an impossible situation and all eyes were on you. In the early 2000s, I was in that kind of place. I had a decision. I had to make that would determine the future of someone I cared about deeply that was working with me in ministry. This individual made a series of decisions and choices that some thought should disqualify them from the role that they were serving in. It was up to me to decide, and what made matters worse is I was related to them. So no matter what I did... There was going to be a steep price to pay. No matter what I did, there was going to be some that agreed and some that deeply disagreed with that decision. Now I made the decision that I thought was the right one. But here I am now almost 20 years later still wondering was that the right decision and if it was the right decision, did I go about it in the right way? It just seemed impossible. And sometimes I I wake up in the morning now and the days that we're living in just seem impossible. I I think that, that we are right now in the midst of a great leadership crisis. Everywhere we look, in government, in education, in religion, economics. And if that's true, if we are in a leadership crisis, then who's to blame for it? Well, I might argue that we all are. Oh, that's offensive. But the truth is, we shape the world we live in. It may be in small ways or large ways, but we all contribute. I mean, there are some things that I have contributed to in society that were good, in some not-so-good, which has resulted in some of the things that we see. Other times, I've simply allowed things to happen, maybe out of cowardice or just not wanting to deal with it. Right now, we have a desperate need for humble, confident, positive, kind, clear God-honoring leadership. But there's a starting point, because I believe that the most important person That you will ever lead Is yourself So what do you do When things seem impossible Do we just give up Do we panic You see when things seem impossible It reveals something about the depth Of our inner life Because all self-leadership begins with the heart in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, John, John writes, speaking of Jesus, that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What John was writing about was, was a process of living in such a way that we have a different kind of life, described as life in his name. So if I'm a follower of Christ, the way that I live and the way that I lead is is different. I might even argue that some of the problems we're faced with are because Christians take leadership cues from the world around us rather than from Jesus, rather than the call to be different. Now you might be sitting in your chair thinking, well, good thing I'm not a leader. (laughs) Although I think all of us are in some way leaders. So on Friday, my, my wife and I, We're at Chick-fil-A because we love Christian chicken. And so we went to Chick-fil-A. We actually go to Chick-fil-A in a lot of our date days. And as we were leaving, there was a mom there with four kids. And I bet you they were all under nine or 10 years old. And there was one little girl, she was probably, I don't know, I would guess four. And she was kind of rascally, you know. Some kids at that age get, you know, can wear their parents out. And this little girl was clearly wearing her mom out. And uh, she was kind of intervening. She was all by herself. I could tell she was frazzled. But, you know, she was dealing with it, disciplining well, I thought. And the kids were following her. And uh, that mom was a leader. Because if you're influencing and someone's following, then you're leading, Today we're going to begin looking at the story of one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. His name is Nehemiah. There's an interesting backstory to Nehemiah. I think all the great heroes of society and culture have a backstory, an origin story. And so Nehemiah has this origin story. And so we're going to go back in history for just a moment, all the way back to the year 587 BC. The story takes place in the book of 1st and 2nd Kings in the Old Testament. In that year, the city of Jerusalem fell, was destroyed by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. It was completely destroyed. The walls that surrounded Jerusalem were knocked down, were, were crumbled. They were in rubble, and uh, so the city was left defenseless. Most of the Jew, Jews in that city were, were killed, and those that were left were taken into captivity to Babylon. Babylon. See, in that moment, God's chosen people, the called-out ones, found themselves in an impossible situation. Now, as history went by, right around the year 538 B.C., the people of God were restored to their land, to Jerusalem, under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. The temple, the place of worship, was, was rebuilt, Then in the year 458 BC, a man named Ezra, who was both a scribe and a priest, returned to Jerusalem to reestablish the law of God. Yet Jerusalem, the city itself, had not been rebuilt. The walls were still in shambles. They were still falling apart. The walls that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, despite... Many attempts to rebuild them remained in ruins for 150 years. Now in the days of Nehemiah, a city without a wall was open and living shame. It was a place of vulnerability. Such a lamentable situation made Jerusalem vulnerable to all of her enemies. And yet it was because a mixture of apathy and fear that the Jews failed to rectify this glaring deficiency upon their promised land. And so what was needed was the dynamic catalyst of a God-inspired, God-honoring leader who would step in when things seemed impossible. It's there that we pick up the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, in many ways, is a memoir. And it begins in verse 1... The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the, months of, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I'm praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter you among, un- if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, And obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor with the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. The most important person that I will ever lead is myself. Now, Nehemiah never returned to Jerusalem. He stayed in exile. He was born in captivity. It's all that he'd ever known. But Nehemiah developed a habit of practicing self good leadership and good self-leadership and it's evident in the way that he handled the impossible situation of the need for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. See when needs, opportunities, disruptions and misfortunes happen, they do not care about your calendar. Nehemiah was having a fine day when his brother showed up and said, "Those who survived the exile, and our back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem is broken. The wall is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. You ever had a moment in life when something happens and you said, I just don't have time for this right now. Your life is going in a great direction. There's a disruption. Oh, I don't have time for this right now. And because we live such fast-paced lives with full calendars, there's little room for disruption. So when challenge or opportunity come, we are paralyzed from lack of margin. So these Jews show up to, to Nehemiah and they say, we are in an impossible situation. Now I wonder, the moment they showed up, if Nehemiah was having a great day. I think he might have been. I bet you he woke up The sun was shining. The birds were singing. Life was good for Nehemiah. He had a great job. He had a high-paying government job. He worked for the king. He had one of the highest-ranking roles in the kingdom. He had access and trust of the most powerful person alive. Nehemiah was the man. Now, there was this unfortunate reality to his job. It's described as the cupbearer. Now, the cupbearer was the guy that would drink the king's wine before he drank it to make sure it wasn't poisoned, so he would die instead of the king. I mean, there is that. But beyond that, everything else seems to be good. But then these folks show up And emotions are high because these are his people. Jerusalem is his nation, his place, his nation, his identity. And he knew, I mean, he knew the history of his people. He knew why he was in exile, but he did not know how awful things were because news traveled slowly. There was no cable news network. He did not know the extent of the despair. So Nehemiah is confronted with this impossible situation. Someone needs to go and build the walls of Jerusalem. And he was able to navigate it well because he had done the hard work of leading himself well. Because the most important person that I'll ever lead is me. John Maxwell, who writes on leadership, defines leadership as as influence. Leadership is influence. Nothing more Nothing less. So by that definition, we're really all leaders in some way. If you're a parent or a grandparent and there are kids looking to you, then you're a leader. If you're the team captain, then you're a leader. If you're in school, middle school, high school, and you are part of the popular crowd, like I don't know how one defines the popular crowd or how one becomes part of the popular crowd or who decides, but if you're in there, then you have influence, which means you're leading. If you're a manager of any kind, you're a leader. If you're a teacher, you're a leader. But here's the the hard side. Influence, without a deeply formed inner life, can be hazardous, disastrous, and deadly. We see it all the time. From presidents, to pastors, to parents. We see... Presidents who lie, pastors who fail, and parents who abuse. So there's some practices we learn from Nehemiah that help us with our self leadership when things seem impossible. And the first thing we see in the life of Nehemiah is he, he practices the pause, the critical need for margin. When I heard these things, when I got this news, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned, and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, in Judaism, a period of mourning is common when there is a loss. For instance, when someone dies in the Jewish faith, faithful Jews will practice sitting Shiva, which means for seven days, the Jews do nothing but mourn the loss of their loved one. They just pause, and they stop, and they they mourn. I mean, in Nehemiah... He paused, he stopped. He didn't respond immediately, he just stopped and he wept and he prayed for days. He didn't go do something, he didn't try to fix it, he didn't blame, he didn't look for a solution. He, he paused and he had the space to do it. Our culture, however, is incredibly reactive. I think reactivity can be a problem. I think we can all agree And if you don't believe me, if you don't think reactivity is a problem, then just go to a kid's sporting event or go to a gate in which an airline has just canceled their flight. You'll see reactivity. (laughs) You'll see lack of self-restraint. You'll see emotions that are not under control. And yet self-control is one of the evidences of a renewed heart, at least according to the book of Galatians. The philosopher Dallas Willard once wrote, those with well-kept hearts are those who are prepared for and capable of responding to situations in life in ways that are good and right. Like, we need space. Reflectively responsible people, reflectively responsible leaders need space. Viktor Frankl was a Jew who survived the Holocaust He was in Auschwitz and somehow he made it out alive. He was also a practicing psychiatrist. And when he was released from the concentration camp and went back into real life, he wrote a book that's now become a classic called Man's Search for Meaning. And and in that book, he makes a statement that I find so compelling. He writes, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is the power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Between stimulus, before, before, before something happens in our response to it, there is this space between event and reaction. And in that space, what happens in that space makes all the difference. I mean, Nehemiah honored that space. For days, I prayed and I mourned. I think one of the best things that we can do in that space is breathe. Because see, your breath is a reminder of who you are and where you come from. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. I am a creation and reflection of God. But the breath also reminds me that as a follower of Christ, I'm filled with God's spirit. John chapter 20, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He appears to his disciples and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And at that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. As a follower of Christ, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. So when something happens and it demands a response, I pause. I am a creation of God. God has breathed life into me. I am filled with God's spirit. Now, God, may I respond in a way that would honor one who is filled with your spirit. See, Nehemiah honored that space because what happens in that place makes all the difference. The most important person you'll ever lead is you. And then, out of that pause, Nehemiah first, he turns towards God. Before he makes any plans, before he asks for advice, before he asks for help, he turns to God and he prays, O oh Lord God of heaven, The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love and and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's house have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see, when things seemed impossible, he did not panic. He prayed. Most of his prayer is rooted in the book of Deuteronomy. So it shows us they had a deep understanding of God and his word. He prayed and he took responsibility. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's house have committed against you. He didn't blame anybody. We live in a culture of blame, don't we? Because it's always easier when it's someone else's fault. Because clearly it's never my fault. Because I'm me and I'm awesome. It's got to be their fault. In a couple of days, there's a little election happening here in Wisconsin. And every time I turn on the television, it's somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. We have lost the ability to take responsibility. See, when Nehemiah was faced with this impossible situation, he prayed and he took responsibility. God, start with me. Because I know the most important person I'm going to lead is me. So start with me. And then he just clung on to God for dear life. A couple of weeks ago when I was in in Oregon, I did have a a couple of free moments. And so I chose in those free moments to to go hiking because it's, I'd never been to Oregon before, but it's beautiful. I I didn't realize how awesome it was. Matter of fact, for me, it might be the most beautiful place I've ever been in the US. It was stunning. And I was in the place where one of the great classic films of all time had been filmed, The Goonies. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I could see the pirate ship. It was It was awesome. So I, I, t- I took a couple of hikes and some of these hikes took me up these huge winding trails and you could, s- there were these cliffs that went down into the, to, to the ocean and just beautiful. And I noticed along the side of the cliffs were all these trees that were growing out of the side of, of the cliff. It was actually something to behold and like how's that thing hanging on there because it was like literally off the edge and it, It was very wind-beaten and blown, but there it stood, there it clung. And as I looked more closely at the tree and the roots, I noticed the roots were deep and thick and were well-established into the side of that cliff so that whatever Mother Nature brought upon that tree, it was not moving. Nehemiah, when things seemed impossible, he clung to God like a tree clinging to the cliff on the shores of Oregon. So this week, there may be a moment when others are looking to you, looking to me. You may be faced with a challenging situation Or maybe, maybe you're offered an opportunity and it's a good opportunity, but you're just not sure what to do. Before you respond, pause. God has created me. God has breathed life into me. As a follower of Christ, I am filled with his spirit. And so now how would one filled with God's spirit respond to this? And then as you face that challenge or opportunity, we turn to God in prayer and quiet in the scriptures before we do anything else. Trusting that that spirit that's in us will lead us. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And I want to leave you with this question. What would life look like if we took a few simple lessons from a man named Nehemiah who was faced with an impossible situation. But he was prepared for it because he led himself well. Because the most important person you'll ever lead is you. And so we pause, oh God, together. I am a beloved creation of God Almighty, an intentional creation. You have breathed life into me. From that very first breath I took, it was because of you. I am filled with your spirit. As a follower of Christ, you dwell in me. And so as I navigate this next week, both the, the really good and the really challenging, help me to respond in a way that's honoring of you. And before I do anything else, would I turn to you? Because you know the beginning, you know the middle, and you know the end. And so, God, I choose to trust. Amen.